All right, so yesterday we had the feeding of the 5,000. Um, there's some interesting stuff that is going to tag on to what we saw yesterday. It's going to happen today. It will be interesting. Verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went on a mountainside to pray. When evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the, they placed the, sick in the marketplaces, so the open places where Jesus was going to be. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Well, <laughs> um, so there's, it's, there's so much we can hit on this particular story. I'm going to see if I can just hit some highlights for us and try to do it in a fashion that's not too long. Yesterday, we talked about how Jesus recognized with his disciples that they were coming back from this great outpouring. Um, there had been like a release of all this spiritual energy. They had been out probably for several weeks going, it says, to the towns and villages where Jesus was about to go. And so they had been preaching good news. They had been healing people, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, casting out demons, all that stuff. They come back. Jesus gets the sense that they're really, really tired. So he pulls them away um, and is like, come away with me and get some rest. That's literally what it says. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest in verse 31. Um, and we remember there are all these people. They're, they're trying to get in this boat to go across the lake. The people see that they're getting in the boat, take a guess where he's going to get, and they beat him to the other side of the lake. And he does, I mean, he just heals people all day long. Then finally, they feed these people because uh, they hadn't eaten all day. They're in the middle of nowhere. Um, And the place where this starts out is Jesus, it says, as soon as that's finished, it says that word immediately, which is not actually a word that is used that often in the Bible. Um, immediately. So as soon as this was over, so as soon as they collected all the 12 basketfuls of bread, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead into Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And then after leaving them, meaning the crowd, he went up onto a mountainside to pray. Um, so, and then it says, when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth night of the watch, he went out to them. So what's it's trying to like put together a chronology. If you remember from the feeding of the 5,000, um, they were worried that it was starting to get, it was starting to become night and they had nowhere to go and they needed to feed these people. So like, it's still probably late afternoon at this point. The sun, I think, is going to be going down around 8.30 at night-ish around this time of the year. Um, so he's fed them. Then Jesus sends the disciples and says immediately, all the crowds are still there. 
because it says Jesus is the one who dismisses the crowds. So he puts the disciples in the boat, let's say around 8 o'clock. I don't know. Maybe it's 8.30. He immediately dismisses the crowd, and it says he goes by himself to a mountainside to pray. Um, What we know next is that between that time, which is 8.30, the fourth watch of the night, I believe, is 3 a.m., is all that Jesus is doing is praying. So in this, what is that, like seven hours of time, it's just Jesus praying. At some point... It's kind of funny the way that it's worded. He looks out. He sees that they're straining at the oars. And it sounds like he kind of goes back to praying. And then when it hits the fourth watch of the night, which is 3 a.m., he goes out to them. So maybe it's midnight and he sees them straining at the oars because the wind is against them. He's like, ah, they'll be fine. (laughs) And goes back to praying. Um, So there's a lot going on here, but this is the big thing I want to say. The same way that Jesus made sure that after there was a spiritual outpouring, for his disciples to get away with him, he recognized that after a full day, a full day of taking care of his disciples and then healing person after person after person after person after person, and then having to do this miracle which his disciples couldn't do, like he's like, all right, immediately, as soon as that's over, he sends them on the boat, he dismisses the crowd, and he goes and spends probably six to seven hours alone praying. Like he, in the same way that he recognized the depletion of like the disciples' spiritual energy, it seems that he's recognizing his own depletion. Like he has got to get alone with the Father. Um, And so we see like, and you'll see this over and over and over again in the Gospels where he does stuff like this. Um, And so this begs, I think, a good question for us, which is, one, do we sense that when we are spiritually depleted? And two, when we're spiritually depleted, what do we do? Like what's our modus operandi? Um, most of us, our modus operandi is self-medication of some way, shape, or form. So it could be eating, it could be drinking, it could be binging on Netflix, it could be sleeping, it could be, I mean, like, all sorts of stuff. Um, it is not the thing which is going to give us the source of all energy, which is time with the Father. Um, so again, if we're, if we're looking to pattern our lives after the life of Jesus, what is it that he does constantly after there's this outpouring? Um, it's that he spends time with the Father. Uh, another thing to, to point out, and this has been a, I'm not, I'm not going to make like a theological statement about this, but I think it's interesting. In verse 48, it says, he saw the disciples straining the oars because the wind was against them. About the fourth watch of the night, he went out to them walking on the lake. Um, and there in certain, uh, specifically more charismatic tribes of, uh, the church, there's a whole theology built around the fourth watch of the night. Um, which is this idea of, it, I, I don't think like it's a, like this is the way that it works so much as it's interesting that so if you if you read the whole of the Bible and just pull out like these ideas of like the fourth watch, uh, th- there's like a strange number of times where the Lord activates himself in the fourth watch of the night, so like 3 a.m. And so there's this, there's this spiritual practice around prayer around like we are going to push ourselves past the fourth watch of the night. Um, And so we're going to gather together or we're going to be alone in our room and we're going to be on our knees and we are going to pray, recognizing that we need to push into the type of prayer where we're praying for hours to the degree that like even though sleep would probably be coming on most nights, we need to push and get to the fourth watch of the night because this is when Jesus comes. Now, that is not what that Bible actually says. I do think it's interesting, though, in terms of thinking about 
this season we're entering into it when it comes to like prayer and fasting. What we do see the scripture say is we need to pray and we need to pray more and then to keep praying. Um, and then oftentimes what it is that we do, we pray, we look around after two minutes, we're like, well, nothing happened, and then we go to sleep. Um, and I think what we see constantly is faithful men and women in the Bible are pushing through, pushing through, pushing through. Think about Acts 11, where Peter is in jail, and the church is gathered in a house, um, and they're praying and worshiping straight through the night for Peter, and then there's a great earthquake, and Peter is released. Um, but it's clear that like they're praying well into the early hours of the morning for Peter. Um, just thinking, like, when was the last time we've actually pushed down that hard in prayer about something? Or is it we say our two minutes and are like, peace out. Didn't happen. I guess I'll go to sleep. Uh, without recognizing, like, there's a, there's a battle that actually goes on with prayer. I've completely deviated off of what the thing's about, but that caught my attention this morning. Um, you know, they... Jesus is walking on water. That's probably worth pointing out. Um, clearly, the disciples believe in ghosts at this point. Uh, they've grown up on the scriptures, and so there are ghosts that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, we can think of a couple of them. And so they're looking at Jesus, and they're like, well, we have never seen someone walk on water before. And I guess maybe a ghost could walk on water. So they're like, it's a ghost that's walking towards us. And Jesus is like... Come on, get it together. It's just me. He crawls into the boat. Um, the winds die down, and then what? I don't. It's not like my favorite verse in scripture, but it's certainly one of the mo- most interesting to me. It says they were completely amazed. Verse fifty-two: for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Um, that, like somehow, like what it is that Mark is saying, is that their amazement is showing something. Um, their amazement actually shows that their hearts were hardened with something having to do with the loaves. Um, like the, the fact that Jesus is walking on the water, the fact that the winds and the waves have died down, the fact that they have seen all this day after day after day after day after day and are still amazed meant that they missed the point of the feeding of the 5,000. That like it didn't make their hearts softer to what Jesus was doing in the kingdom. It made it harder. Um, which is just, uh, there's all sorts of things that we can talk about um, with that. They anchor. All these people recognize Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into towns, villages, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces, which would be the center of town. And they begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. So we think about a couple chapters before with the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she was the first that Scripture says is touching the, what's called the, um, the sitzio. There are these prayer cords that hang off of what's called the kanaf, which is the prayer shawl that a, a Jewish person would wear. Um, and so they're grabbing the cords on the, the prayer shawl, and they're getting healed. Uh, and we had talked a couple of, in, I think on Easter, about how like this was, there's this uh, kind of like this folklore that had developed in the Jewish culture that you would know who the Messiah was when there would be healing in um, like the wings of this person's prayer shawl. And this is what it is that we're seeing. And it seems like word is spread. It started with this woman who had been sick for 12 years. And then now everyone is like, well, shoot, I don't even need to talk to him. If I can just grab on to his shawl, 
then I'll be healed. And it says every single one of them was. And then I think about, I think Aaron mentioned this on Sunday night. I think about John 14, where Jesus says, you will do greater things than these. Um, and what you see too, like really fascinating examples of like greater things than even this uh, in the book of Acts. One is like, people are just like angling to get into Peter's shadow, thinking that like if they can just get his shadow to fall and they'll be healed, and they are. And then um, Paul, he's a tent maker, and so he's making tents. Um, and when he's in Ephesus, he doesn't have, like he's working probably 12 to 15 hours a day. Um, and then he is spending, um, not straight, it would probably be he'd work about 10 hours a day. Uh, maybe not 10, maybe eight or nine. Um, there would be a siesta. So there'd be a break in the middle of the day when it was super hot. And then he would go teach in the school of the Hall of Tyrannus, um, the, the church who were gathered there. And then he would send them out. And then he would go back to tent making. And then that would probably end around 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. And then they would have church for like four or five hours. And then he would, I mean, like long days, six days a week he's doing this. Um, and so like he's really hemmed in by how much time he has. And so what he ends up doing is he give like people are needing prayer f- to, to be healed. Um, and he doesn't have time to go and heal them. He's working. He's, tent- he's literally tent making. He's making tents to sell. Um, and so he's giving them his sweat rags. So he's like rubbing his head and they're like, I don't know. I do what? Is that where that's from? Yeah. He's like, I literally don't have time. Like I'm, I'm making tents here. And so he's get, he would get like, just take this to this person. Uh, tell them that I'm praying for them and they're healed. It's just fascinating. Um, I'm going off on all sorts of tangents this morning. I mean, thank you, Aaron. I'm going in no particular direction. I'm just, this is where my thoughts are this morning. You're getting the raw, unfiltered thoughts of Doug Paul's Bible reading. Um, yeah, just, I, I just think about, this is so, this is such a rich passage uh, about what it is that Jesus recognizes in himself when he's depleted what he needs. Um, what, the things that actually do deplete us. Um, these are all, the things that are depleting Jesus, um, like it is a supernatural outpouring. He's healing people. He's teaching people. He's doing things that only the Holy Spirit can do. It says in Luke that the, the Holy Spirit is resting on Jesus. It rests on him without any limits. There are no limits to what he can do. But it still is, like he recognizes he's coming to the edges of himself. He pulls out. He spends time with the Father. And then he just dives right back into it. And I mean like person after person after person. They bring everyone to him. And every single one of them is healed. Um, and in the midst of that, you have the disciples who freak out, and it says they didn't get what Jesus was even trying to do, and their hearts were hardened. Um, again, we talked about this a week or two ago. Um, we don't exactly know why their hearts, like w- what it is that was happening. What does the amazement actually mean, um, and what was Jesus frustrated with? Uh, was it that they didn't pray for the wind and the waves? Um, was it that they were amazed? Was it, I mean... Like, is it that they didn't think they could do it? We don't exactly know. But clearly, Jesus is not terribly happy that their hearts are hard at this moment and hadn't got what had just happened that same day. So, this is the word of the Lord and lots of random thoughts. And to be clear, that fourth watch theology, I'm not saying we believe that. I'm just saying it's interesting. And this is uh, one of the places where it comes from. Adios, grace and peace.